Listeners, uh, very happy to be back. Can't tell your host this evening with Johanny Nur. He's, uh, we've been Facebooking backwards and forwards for a while now. He is an industry veteran, ladies and gentlemen, over 25 years of journalism, writing for some of Finland's most prestigious publications and talking with some of Hollywood's most famous filmmakers. He's also a screenwriter and has spec screenplays involved with some of these filmmakers on the boil. He's friends with Rennie Harlan, the likes of H.R. Giger, Jan Harlan, Stanley Kubrick's producer, Paula Wagner, Academy Award winner Richard Taylor, CEO of Weta Workshop. Johanny, it's nice to finally meet you, mate, and welcome... (laughs) To cinema Cheers. It's an honor. Hey, young mate. It's it's great to finally talk to you, and it's also uh, fantastic to read uh, when I was reading uh, the little profile that you sent me that you, like me, are also a big fan of The Spy Who Loved Me, my favorite John, James Bond film. Turns out your favorite James Bond film as well. Very much. Very much so. I understand that it's also Christopher Nolan's favorite Bond movie. That's fantastic. Christopher Nolan, didn't he hit one out of the park this year, hey? He, he certainly did. And uh, <clears throat> I've also been delving into rumors or, you know, one of the, the hottest rumors at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, whether Chris Nolan will be directing Bond 26. And yeah. One could actually do an entire radio program about that, if one would wish. And uh, I think it's a fascinating prospect, uh, and time will tell. In any case, I think the Broccolis, the Broccoli clan, they have exquisite taste in filmmakers and actors who are ultimately chosen as 007. So it's 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 exciting. And, and without going into spoilers, NTTD, No Time to Die, was pretty, uh, you know, it was pretty uh, dramatic in certain ways. So I guess in terms of a reboot, they need to do something drastic, something new and fresh, hopefully. Well, Chris Nolan is certainly, uh, he certainly, I, I, I mean, he's a guy, if they said, oh, who do you think should direct a Bond movie? I mean, his name, if not the, if not near the top of the list, certainly the top of the list. Um, who do you see as Bond? Do you like Henry Cavill? I have nothing against him, for sure. I think there are several things speaking against him, mm-hmm. because he's already been in two movies, in sort of Bond-like movies, like The the Man from Uncle mm-hmm. and the upcoming Ar- Argyle, I, I guess it's called, you know, by Matthew Vaughan, which uh, will uh, stream next year, I think, from Netflix. Um it's going to be very interesting if Chris Nolan would go the Quentin Tarantino route in the sense that, you know, Quentin was always dreaming of uh, adapting Casino Royale. And he actually said that he would want to want to see Pierce Brosnan star as Bond. So it's going to be interesting to see if um, any prospective director would uh, literally take a page from Ian Fleming's novel. Uh, novels uh, and 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 depict Bond as a middle-aged man, very burnout, very 
badly broken. Personally, I think the Broccoli clan will choose someone fairly young because making bonds is is a is a tough business. It's very tough on your psyche. It's even tougher on 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 your body. We know that Daniel Craig was injured uh, on every on making every every bond movie. So he almost needed surgery afterwards or even during the making of those movies. So, uh, uh, you know, I, w- I, w- I would love to see Henry Cavill. I have nothing against him, but I, s- I, I don't see him. I mean, he, he was in the final, final casting of Casino Royale. I understand that Martin Campbell actually favored him as 007, but he was overruled by, I think, mainly Barbara Broccoli. That's what I. That's what I understand. But these are these are rumors, so it's difficult, very difficult, if not impossible, to confirm. You know who I always liked? I liked Clive Owen for a long time. He was he had a great look, you know, croupier. I but, think yeah, was like a. Box. Yeah. I was going to say yeah. when he did croupier, I think he could have. I could. I think he could have been like a a Connery type Bond, like a smooth but but a muscular. Yes. Strength. You know. I thought he was good for a while. Of course, he's <clears throat> probably a bit past it. Yes, I mean he's getting older, like everyone is getting older, um, and he's past his fifties. Mm-hmm. And uh, as much as Idris Elba would have been a very interesting choice, but I mean he's also getting longer in the tooth. Yes. So uh, seeing these fifties uh, aged actors play Bond, I don't think I don't think it's a it's a viable it's not a viable idea because. Making bonds is a franchise. It's a business. You need to take very good care of your business investment, and uh, and also we know that each bond actor their demands always get worse. Uh, you know, from the point of view of the producers, because the prices, the fees go up, and they start getting back ends and things. Of course, this is all 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 related to the box office. But uh, Bonds have done pretty good box office ever since Pierce Brosnan's days, so it's a it's a it's a very difficult situation for the for the producers, obviously too. I've I've always um, I've always reflected on why they wouldn't go back to uh, perhaps Bond's youth. I'm not saying like young James Bond, but as as portrayed by Roger Moore, he was like a, a commander. They referred to him as Commander Bond. So I I always thought wouldn't it be interesting to to get to know like Commander Bond before he like he, he obviously had an impressive military career before MI6 came along and uh, tapped him on the shoulder and, yeah. and get into it that way like see him as this impressive guy who ends up at the end of the movie joining MI6 and becoming a double. I think that's a fantastic idea, and I think it's something that you and I have been chatting about in in private messages. Uh, my favorite Bond teaser in the Bond film series of all time, my favorite teaser of all time, is the Living Daylights teaser when the Double O agents are making halo jumps to Gibraltar, and then you know an un, uh, unknown assassin Schmerzpionem. Type of guy starts uh, killing them off, and of course Timothy Dalton is introduced in a very memorable way. 
uh, I love ski chases. Uh, that's one of the one of, one of the reasons why I love uh, the Spy Who Loved Me to bits. It yeah. has one of the best ski chases, Especially and you know, the, watching the flag okay. with the Union Jack at the end of it too. Yes, o occasionally watching these, you know, these freelance uh, daredevil ski, you know, skiers on YouTube, uh, the stuff that they do with GoPro cameras and stuff. You could do an absolutely jaw-dropping ski chase. Yeah. in the next few Bond movies, and why not have a team of double O agents engaged in a ski chase to guess, uh, against an unknown assailant, maybe a Smirsh or Spectre type of guy, and maybe the the real 007 gets killed, and you know one of the, the remaining surviving 00 agents inherits his title. I'd love to see something like that, you know, where the stakes are high from the very beginning and where you have a truly action-packed mm. teaser yeah. and thereby introducing the new Bond actor yeah. to, to the and, world. Yeah, and, and in some ways making Bond a bit like the Dread Pirate Roberts, no one's actually James Bond. They inherit that that mantle. You know what I mean? And it carries yes, it. I mean, and we saw we saw in No Time to Die how controversial it was. I think it was the right choice to make uh, a woman of color double um, uh, seven. But of course, you know, the fanboys were up in arms about that, and it was quite a quite a furor for a while. But that's 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 what always happens with our beloved characters. You know, there are always people who are not. You're, you're yeah. damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, and and in trying to do something new, sometimes you you only end up alienating people. Uh, certainly, the people that like it as it was. You've got the people that are after something new, but not too new. Yes. <laughs> not too. I you know, not, I, not, I totally not, agree. Not, it's 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 a fairly conservative business in the sense that you have to reboot, you have to revamp, but you can't you can't revo revolutionize things too much. I mean, think about Daniel Craig; he was shorter than most uh, than any Bond actor. He had sort of blondish hair, and I think particularly the UK press ridiculed him for not being able to drive shifts of the DB5 that he wins in a poker game in Casino Royale. All of that is, was completely ludicrous. And boy, did he prove everyone wrong, you exactly. know, with Casino Royale. Exactly, yeah. Incredible. All the naysayers. <clears throat> That's true. Hey, listen, you've talked to a lot of famous people in your career, so I could, I could probably sit here with a list and read off names. And you've probably talked to them at some point or another, right? Quite a few, quite a few, especially actors, but of course directors as well because when i was active in the junket circuit mm -hmm. i was a kind of a junket animal i was flying <clears throat> i lived in the north of finland close to lapland where people go during winter to hopefully see the santa claus so i was i was like 600 kilometers north of helsinki until i got fed up with that because i mean especially when you fly to the states it's it's a long haul and jet lag and everything involved. I'm not complaining, but but usually I <clears throat> I flew once a month to London. London was the junket city, and right. occasionally junkets were arranged in New York and LA as well. So there are there are a couple of um, directors whom I I would love to still interview. Mm. Not I don't think it it will happen. People like uh, Spielberg and obviously Eastwood who is unfortunately getting older as well. 
but there have been some some truly truly amazing um, encounters and i would say that film film makers are usually always kind and nice to you the stars uh, the big stars, depending very much what is going on in their lives, in their private lives, and whether the previous uh, journalist before you has managed to infuriate them. You know, the the ultimate the ultimate uh, uh, ultimate outcome is very much dictated by the mood of the day and you know how they are feeling. But the you know some of the most absolutely most unforgettable and interesting interviews have been with the with the people behind the scenes like uh, sir richard taylor whom i'm extremely honored and privileged to have befriended this was during the international junket of king kong in new york city obviously new york city because that's where kong ends up in 2005 and then i bombarded the late great hr giger the creator of alien because i was so shell-shocked uh, by his art that I decided to track him down. And I kept on sending snail mail. This was at the end of the 80s. There was no internet. So I kept on sending, uh, you know, handwritten letters, well, typed letters to his management in Zurich. And finally they gave up. And boy, what an encounter it was at his home and house in the outskirts of Zurich, uh, and such a kind man. I can't speak highly enough of Giger, a, a truly humble man, a true genius. He will be missed, and there will never, ever be another Giger. That is, that is most, most assertively true. No, I, no AI can touch him, I dare say. But uh, did he bring out the vial of opium? Actually, during the course, that's a that's a very good point because I I had you know I had obviously fairly regular calls with him, yeah. and uh, you always had to call Herr Giger at night because he was only active, truly active at night. So I had some of the, I had some of those experiences where where his his speech became incoherent, uh, you know, due to an uh, infusion of mm. opium. But it's 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 none of my it's none of my beeswax. It's none of my business. But I definitely noticed he he was addicted on that and he used it for his own reasons. Uh, but it, it it didn't it didn't um, uh, it didn't uh, you know distort his personality in 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 any way. And, no, I was uh, just I was just thinking back to the story that uh, Dan O'Bannon, of course, tells in the uh, behind the scenes material in. Uh, on the the, the alien uh, discs, yeah. You know, he says, uh, "You want some opium?" And he goes, "Oh, what's that for?" He goes, "I'm terrified of my visions." And he goes, "Oh, they're just in your head." <laughs> of course, every 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 great artist needs a good backstory. Yeah, and no doubt, no doubt, when you when you visit him, see those you know huge pieces of artwork covering entire walls. Yeah. You know, and especially for exhibitions, they had to be <clears throat> div divided up, you know, in three parts. He had designed them so that they could be transported out of the house, but they were absolutely huge. And the furniture, you know, uh, the set of furniture that he originally designed for Dune, the Harkonnen chairs, looked like they, the chairs looked like they will, they will engulf you, devour you, but they are actually very, very comfortable to sit on. 
and very stylish too, especially if you have dark sensibilities, as some of us do. Very impressive. It'd certainly be a talking piece for anyone who walked into the living room, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, so who would you say, like, out of all the... uh, out of all the directors you have gotten to speak to, who was your uh, probably most uh, enthralling interview? I would say that Chris Nolan is probably the most cerebral one. Mm-hmm. I have only met him once in London, 2010, for Inception, Inception, which many people seem to seem to like. And I would say that he's 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 like a younger Kubrick in the sense that he's a very analytic type of guy, and it's fascinating to to you know, interview him and be in his presence and listen to him when he analyzes his movies. Uh, Obviously, there are other filmmakers like George Lucas, who is an absolute legend, as we know, and who's also kind in the sense that if you have done your homework and you have good questions, I always uh, thank him in my mind for for him giving me a little bit of extra time in Mm -hmm. interviews which is, it's it's not like you want to hoard uh, the interview time from the other journals, because, mm. you know, uh, movie junkets are big, big events of, of at least 25 to 30 people a day, and, and they go on for several days because they have been divided up so that the entire world doesn't interview these people simultaneously. But it's, um, yeah, yeah. And um, there, there have been many, there have been many filmmakers, but I would say that Nolan is is the most impressive one, hmm. and uh, and Lucas obviously as well. Very very friendly and very open, and no qualms about anything. Well, we have we Absolutely. we do have one that you've spoken to that we actually have mutual friends connected to, and that's Rennie Harlan. I interviewed the bloke, uh, C. Courtney John, who used to share a flat with him. We were in an apartment way back in the day, and, and Courtney said that he was uh, – uh, Rene uh, used to come back with the women, and, and Courtney used to end up cooking the breakfast. Did you hear that story? Uh, well, yes. I didn't hear that story, but I I, I know – you know he he likes he likes his women. He's happily married now, and uh, with a, with a Finnish women, yeah. Finnish woman, which is which is wonderful wonderful news. He's actually as as far as I understand, Rennie is in New Zealand at, at the moment, oh. and he's directing a new shark thriller, which oh. is interesting because you know he he did the 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 Deep Blue Sea. And, uh, and 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 Rennie was absolutely instrumental to my career because when I was a young radio jockey in Oulu, in my mm. native city in the north, I had this weekly radio program. Mm. And <clears throat> in December 1988, when A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, mm. The Dream Master, opened, it made a, a, a big dent at the box office in the U.S., and uh, Rennie had, you know, basically left Finland because he had made this very controversial anti-Russian movie, action movie called Born American. And it was banned here. This was still during the Cold War. Right. Of course, you know, he did prison, among, other, among others. And uh, then, then, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street cracked, uh, cracked the, the walls open 
the floodgates open and and he was welcomed as a hero here in Finland. So I had an interview, live interview with him and we hit it off. And he actually invited me to the set of Cliffhanger wow. in 1992 in the, in the Italian Dolomites, wow. where I interviewed him, John Lithgow, and I had a 30-minute one-on-one with Sylvester Stallone at 3,500 meters on top of a mountain uh, in, a, in a gas-lit uh, tent right. where, you know, Stallone took off his uh, tattered gray woolen sweater and you could see that his his torso was like like one of a, of a greek god and right. he was extremely extremely friendly of course i i forgot to mention that stallone is a director as well right. and he actually talked at length about his edgar project which he never managed to manage to uh, you know direct at least not so far that's incredible that's awesome well done I was just watching Cliffhanger the other night, actually. That's awesome. So, which, is, which, at which at which part of the filming were they at when you were? This this was the the part where the jet had crashed in the snow and the heist had been done, mm-hmm. and when you know the the false agent are are surrounded by by mm-hmm. Lithgow's gang. Okay. So that, that that was that, and actually, the previous night I had to drive this small Fiat car. I've right. never been to the autobahn. You might have heard about the the European autobahns uh-huh. where there's free speed and where the true Formula One drivers reside. Right. Absolutely, sca- absolutely scary. But this was the Italian autostrada where right. people drive at least 140 kilometers an hour i drove a small car and then i went to the mountains where everyone passed me but the 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 catch here is that i stayed overnight the 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 headquarters of the production was at cortina d'ampezzo which is of course the olympic uh, village and where for your eyes only was shot where the ski chase sequences were sh- were shot, so that was amazing by itself. I didn't have any extra time, unfortunately, to spend in Cortina d'Ampezzo, but I would have loved to because For Your Eyes Only is also a, a big bond favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But it was a memorable, very memorable set visit, and mm-hmm. I think yeah, two, one year after that, Rennie also invited me to the set uh, at Valletta, Malta. For Cuthroad Island, oh, so we no. had a, we had an, we had an entire ship. We had uh, Frank Langella's ship, to I to you, to. I hope you took plenty of plenty of pictures, eh? Or, or video? Did you have a video camera or something? That would have been incredible. I know, I know. Oh, no, no, everything was. I know. Everything was very the... tightly controlled. Everything was tightly controlled, and you know, when it comes to Cuthroad Island, Carolco was very concerned because there were so many rumors. Uh, afloat about the budget. It was a bit like Titanic and War to World in the sense that even before the movie opened, magazines like Premiere were, was was already lambasting and bad mouthing them yeah. to say that these 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 movies will be so expensive that there's no way in hell that they will ever make their money back, yeah. which in some cases were wrong, obviously, mm-hmm. but. I mean, that, some, that, some... Movie, that movie, hands down, every dollar is up there on the screen, up there. I mean, they built those ships, didn't they, both of them? 
Yes, they did. And, and when you think about it, this was a few years before Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm. So it was it was slightly maybe the wrong timing. Maybe yeah. the cost the, the cost could have been even even better, even though I had nothing against the cost. And uh, Frank Langella, who has always been one of my favorite actors, was oh. an incredibly, incredibly impressive man Hello, to meet face to face. A bit a bit intimidating as yeah. well, I might add. Skeletor, right? That's awesome. Yes. And Dracula. And Dracula, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jeezy was good in that too. He was good in that. He was. It really elevates it all. So tell us all about you. Besides doing all of this, and you're a very talented man, tell us about you've got a lot of screenplays in various stages of, of development with lots of important people. Tell us all a little bit about, uh, about that. Yes. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I, I mentioned Sir Richard Taylor earlier, and mm. uh, uh, at the end of the interview, I was emboldened, I guess, uh, enough to pitch a, a crazy idea of mine, which is which is in development, but it's 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 very exp it's a very ex expensive idea and it's multi-genre type of sci-fi thriller. Mm. Uh, the, but the catch here is that. Sir Richard uh, encouraged me to to finish the script and then send it to him. So he handed his personal uh, business card mm -hmm. and the Weta Workshop showreel on DVD and told me as the interview concluded, here's my contact info. Please finish the script and send it to me. Half a, uh, Six months after I had the first draft down and sent it to me and, and got very, very encouraging uh, feedback from him. And uh, I think the main lesson there was that he said that I should try something a little more realistic in terms of budget, uh, which I did. And um, 2012, I acquainted, you usually never acquaint Hollywood filmmakers very easily via Facebook. But I had the immense luck in, in befriending Marcus Nispel. Mm. And Marcus Nispel, as you might know, is a German-born Hollywood uh, filmmaker. By the way, you should definitely interview Marcus one of these days. Oh, he's, an amazing, he's an amazing man, amazing character, wonderful, wonderful guy. I loved his, uh, I loved his Conan and uh, Pathfinder. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, he, he has that, you know, Scott Brothers aesthetic down pat. Uh, I pitched uh, a, a script which I had finished after my magnum opus, which I'd you know earlier pitched to Richard Taylor. Mm. I had written I had written a UFO thriller called Little Green Men, which is based on a very famous close encounter of the third kind, uh, the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter, which um, happened in Kentucky, 1955. It was uh, about Kentucky farmers who encountered one hot, humid August night. These goblin-like luminescent aliens who started harassing them uh, uh, around their farmhouse. And uh, it escalated to a firefight and, and it became a siege situation. And this story has never been filmed, although 
mind you, Spielberg actually flirted. He sort of copied the idea for the original E.T. idea, because if you remember, E.T., before it became E.T., was something called The Night Skies. He had hired John Sayles to, 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 to write a script about a boy who befriends these aliens at a farm. Some of the aliens were hostile, and there was one which was friendly, and someone told him to cut the extraneous aliens and just, you know, narrow it to one. And of course, the rest of his history became E.T. But Spielberg was clearly influenced and John Sayles were clearly influenced by the Kelly Hopkinsville incident. Anyway, I pitched this to Marcus. Marcus liked the script, but he said that, Johanny, this is a bit too tame for me, because in my movies, people lose their heads and their limbs, and no one gets killed in this in this script. So uh, he pitched me his own story, mm. which is a marith- maritime thriller about a broken family who encounters a monster on the open seas. It's a bit like alien on a cargo ship, uh, very atmospheric. So I wrote that for him and we sort of co-wrote it, but I'm, I'm the main writer and we are very much in development on it. We have, we are searching for financing. Little Green Men has not been forgotten. It has, uh, for the moment, it has Dan Myrick attached, who was the other half of the Blair Witch Project. He loves the script he thinks it's a very humane uh, very humane and human story about a family weta still weta is involved in little green men they love it as well and then i have the third project of mine is something called the grim reaper and uh, just like the title implies it's uh, it's about the 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 legendary um incarnation of death except that this has a backstory it's about a young blacksmith in the 17th century in massachusetts usa some 40 to 50 years after the first mayflower immigrants arrived and this blacksmith is very much in love with a with a local midwife but there's a local chaplain who covets her and frames the blacksmith for for being a warlock male witch He's sentenced to death um, after Act 1 in the middle of Act 1 and 2. Mm. He's, 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 he's beheaded, he's burned at the stake, and he, he wakes up in hell, literally. And, mm. and, 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 and he starts putting out his revenge. He only wants to see his beloved once more, one more time. And he, he confronts the Lord of Darkness, who grants him a wish. So he says, I only want to return back to my beloved one. But he starts plotting his revenge against uh, a, a group of clergymen who all conspired to co- condemn him and sentence him to death. So it's a, it's a love story. It's a very, very dark and violent love story. It's um, me and my wife's um, ode to the old Universal uh, monster movies. And... Um, well, it has elements of many movies like Bram Stoker's Dracula, The Crucible, The Seventh Seal. It, it has elements. So, uh, you know, all, all the main stories have been done. You can only try to honor them and emulate them and bring some fresh new story elements into them. 
but these are these are the the the, the three main projects I'm 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 doing. The Grim Reaper has Robert Siegel, a mm. German, also a German born filmmaker. His surname is S-I-G-L. Robert is is a bit like a, a German Dario Argento, in the sense that he makes movies which become cult movies, and he loves he loves the scripts. And uh, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a to to um, a Zoom table read of it tomorrow with UK and US actors. So uh, uh, you you need a bit of love, even even though you have to sometimes go to hell to really fulfill it. But but this this is this is the sandbox I I love to play in. My scripts are are dark. They have usually different types of monsters and demons or aliens in them. But obviously, the human characters need to be three dimensional, and you they be, need to be emph emphatic. And uh, I, I would say that John Carpenter's early movies have influenced me a lot because I love those dark and ambiguous endings. I'm not I'm not a guy for happy endings if I can choose if I have something to say about it. Of course, happy endings are good too you know for certain kind of movies but not for the kind of movies i i tend to write or which i tend to sort of gravitate towards sorry for the rant hey look john carpenter's my cup of tea too mate i i love the stuff they live prince of darkness mouth of madness big trouble all the escapes yeah fantastic stuff. i mean i mean halloween the fog and the thing are maybe my three favorites uh, it's a bit like with Ridley Scott personally, mm. having having been born in 1966 and having been born and bred on these great 70s movies. I I you know when 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 some of our mutual Facebook friends uh, occasionally you know do polls and votes on on the best first movies of any director, mm. I sometimes remind both myself and others that hey there's this northern english guy called ridley scott who did uh, one hell of a trio the duelists alien blade runner i think it's at least from my biased point of view pretty difficult to top that trio and and certainly another little picture he's made called napoleon is going to be pretty interesting very very much so and 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 being actually still of, of active film journalist, like I said, I used to do these these globe trotting junket trips all the time, monthly. Uh, I had the immense pleasure of of uh, before the strikes started. Mm. Disney here in Finland offered me the chance of interviewing Harrison, Harrison Ford, Phoebe Waller Bridge, Mats Mikkelsen, and James Mangold via Zoom. So I did that and did a TV story for the Finnish TV about it. But one of my dreams, having met and interviewed Ridley Scott, whom I, of course, should also men mention as a very impressive man, mm. uh, I would love to interview him and Joaquin for Napoleon. Actually, the junket for Gladiator in 2000, I attended that in the spring of 2000, were in Rome, of all places, of course. And the, the, the Junket Interview Hotel was a couple of hundred meters from the Colosseum. Yeah. And uh, I told uh, the, the much younger Joaquin Phoenix that I absolutely loved your Commodus. And it's sort of 
reminded me of of the late great you know the great Rutger Hauer who of course was wasn't deceased back then but uh Rutger's uh, Roy Batty was another truly memorable villain very multifaceted and multidimensional villain and think of it think of it Kent there are not that many villains who actually end up saving the hero at the end and that's then very, dies. That's very yes. true. And speaking of Ridley Scott, right before we uh, run out of time here, are you not entertained? I have been very entertained. I've been very <laughs> My guest, Yuhani Nurmi, thank you for very much for being on. We'll have to get you on again because I think we could talk about movies for a whole lot longer than we have. Hey, It has been a true pleasure and uh, sorry for sorry for being so talkative. They say that Finns are usually grumpy, gloomy, they say hardly a word or two. Well, I'm a little different. Maybe my, my genes were mixed at some point. Well, Yuhani, I think you're a gentleman and a scholar, mate, and I thank you very much for being on Cinema Yugen. Ladies and gentlemen, give him a big hand. That's great, and we will definitely have Yuhani back to talk more about the movies because I've got a feeling we've got a whole lot more to cover here. Listen to us again soon on Cinema You Get.